Transmission incoming. Welcome to the Autobot Picture Show. Let's do it. Episode 0081, A Rabbit Down by the River. You've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. I'm your host, Kevin McRae. This is the podcast where we not only talk about the movies, but we talk about the people, the ideas, and the feelings behind the movie. This isn't just a review show. On today's episode, we have a special themed cocktail, we have Heathen on the News, and in feature presentation, we have a double feature. The first movie that we will talk about is called The Lady in the Van, and the second film we will talk about is Zootopia. So we have a lot to talk about today. Let's get today's show started. We'll head up to the VIP booth at the top of the cantina. couple things. This podcast may contain mature language. Keep that in mind if you are sensitive to that kind of thing. I particularly tend to use words and humor that is not, uh, that is somewhere around the 13 year old level. Also, anytime you hear a sound similar to this, uh, that's that's fine to hit this baby. Make sure that you drink along with us at home. I will have a sippy right now, and then I will introduce who else is in the cantina with me as she takes her sippy sip. Okay, so in the cantina with to me today, as I mentioned in the introduction, it is the head organizer of the Sierra Nevada Movie Club, and her name is Heathen. With to you. Yeah, sorry, I'm a little bit frazzled, some technical difficulties. So, Heathen, we've seen a few movies. We saw The Lady in the Van last week. We saw Zootopia this week. Those are the movies we're going to talk about. Um, We haven't done a podcast since the Oscars. Anything you want to talk about with the Oscars, the Oscar party that we had, or gathering? Didn't we talk about it on the last one a little bit? The last podcast we had was about the Oscars. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, the Oscars, um, we had a really good setup at O'Cleary's. We had nice theater seating, a huge TV, and um, everybody was dressed up to the nine. We had cocktails, people were ordering. We had our own waiter for our event. And um, just as everybody was getting settled, as we were watching, you know, everybody go down the red carpet, um, the Oscars were 
ready to start. And they said, you know, welcome to the what 88th annual Oscars direct TV went out. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty shitty. And we spent like a good hour trying to find a place to move our Oscar party and everywhere that we called, they were sports only. Or they had direct TV. Or they had direct TV. Yeah, so it was weird to me. We we uh, we had a lot of people that showed up early, uh, people before us. I was kind of surprised. Sometimes people wait to the last minute. Um, in particular, even though a lot of people, especially not to gender stereotype, especially because Zootopia is somewhat about that, but a lot of men don't, men in general don't care about the Oscars, and they specifically, I don't think, care about the red carpet. And we don't usually do too much of the red carpet. We did a little bit last year on mute. But we had a lot of people. We were there about two hours early, and we had a pretty good showing of people coming from several different social groups and meetups and invitations and friends of friends. And so it was a bummer that everyone got there so early, and we waited around uh, about two hours. And as Heathen said, just as the the Oscars came on, it went dead. And it made us look kind of dumb because some people don't really understand how TV works. And um, we just started dropping people. We had four of us, five of us, calling everywhere in the area looking for an alternative. A couple of us working really hard, a couple of other people. We had people, we had friends from out of town that were trying their best to find other places. So we did end up migrating over to the place that we had our very first Oscar party at. And it was good that they were showing it, but I mean, you, yeah, it, it, it was the same one, situation yeah. as the first year. You can't, you couldn't hear it, you couldn't see it. Um, it's a really terrible place to have an Oscar party, and it's for the kind of people, for the most part, that don't give a crap about the Oscars. It was like it's a hipster bar, so there was a few girls sitting at the front watching that were really into it. And I talked to a couple of them, and uh, but for the most part, it was just a bunch of other dipshits. It's a good venue to have an Oscar party, but they need. It's not a good two venue. or three TVs, yeah, and they need a good sound system. I think it's a perfect so I don't venue know how that's for a good it. Venue but when there's no TVs, well, and I'm no saying sound. it's a good venue, but you need these things added. I think it's a perfect place to host it if you had these things. If it was a different time of year, <laughs> it'd be nice to have a big TV upstairs where they have that bar and do the Oscars under the under the starlight. But you know, Oscars are typically too early in Reno for outdoor weather. Um, you know, I had a good time. I drank a, a good amount. Um, I was kind of bummed, but you know, the silver lining is that we, we, uh, the last couple of years we've, we've had, um, catered and charged Oscar events. And if we would have been in that boat this year, we would have been really screwed. So it was easier that we just had a meetup place and kind of a good learning experience so that the next year that we do our Oscar party that we make sure that there's something signed in the contract that if you're not able to show the Oscar or something like that, then you better compensate us or not charge us for the food or something like that. What I've usually done in the past is is made sure that it's been cable. That's just always been in the back cable of my mind for whatever reason. It, there's always been just something in my mind. C- cable can go out. It, it doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, uh, so we had a, well, this is just something that's, so some people just are rude, just normally, but I brought this up to Heathen. There's, uh, there's gotta be a, a scientific word for it. I'm sure there is. And, and, uh, you know, there's those people that are used to their own smell. 
so they don't think they smell bad. And it even it can be the other way where people can't smell the cologne they wear so that they end up putting on too much cologne. And again, I'm sure there's a word for it, but the people that can't understand the noises they're making, which is one thing and somewhat related, people that can't understand the effect they're having on other people. I think that I'm pretty oblivious a lot of the time, but for some things, I think I'm pretty sensitive about when someone's getting annoyed. I think I pick up those cues. Are you getting to a point? <laughs> just people that just seem to not understand what is happening. So they break up the silence or the uncomfortability they feel by laughing. I've got family members that do it, and I don't really understand it. I call them Dr. Hibberts. They just laugh and laugh and laugh at everything. And I guess it's a good way to live life, to laugh at everything. It just shows what a bitter, dried-up soul I am, I guess, that... <laughs> that uh, frivolous laughter irritates me so. Anyway, if if you guys know out there know what I'm talking about, about people that just aren't social conscious about the things they're doing, they're unaware of them, how that happens, like I said, I can understand it with smell because you can do it yourself. I mean, you can do it with alcohol where you, you breathe something enough, you become... And I know with certain sounds, say you live next to a railroad track or under an airport, you eventually get used to those sounds, but... I guess it's the same way with your own body. You just start making weird, annoying sounds. But anyway, I don't know how much that was on topic or off topic. I just thought it was an interesting thing about um, psychology and um, social social settings, I guess, which a lot of movies is about, especially in our group besides watching them, but the before and after. So, Heathen, are you ready for your news? Yes. I'd like to hit a baby first, if you don't mind. <laughs> that's fine. That's it's fine. That's fine. That's fine. You didn't hit your baby. I did. Did you really? Are you lying? Mm -hmm. I did. Don't forget to submit your hit your baby sounds. I keep forgetting to solicit our visitors to the podcast and to the cantina. I always think about it when they're here. If they spend the night, I think about it several times, and then I always forget. Sylvester Stallone was spotted in Atlanta, Georgia with the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 script in his hand. Oh, interesting. Guess he's going to be in the movie. Oh. And he is going to be playing uh, Yondu's second in command. Okay. There's not a whole lot revealed yeah. about what's going to go on. Um. It hasn't been officially revealed what the role is going to be, but it will be uh, Yondo's second in command. I really enjoyed the first movie. I enjoyed the characters. It was a movie that came somewhat out of... We've talked about this on the podcast. It came somewhat out of left field. Um, a lot of people... It was sort of a gamble by Marvel. This wasn't a comic that even nerds knew about, really. And uh, just... Marvel just keep, keeps doing so well, and everyone involved with this movie, at least in the first one, just really cared about the movie, and, and it, you know, it basically made, or started to make a superstar out of Chris Pratt, and, because um, the movie doesn't really have any, I guess for the most part, other than uh, Robert Downey Jr., none of the Marvel movies really had any superstars too much. Although, still, they had known people. The director and writer is is super into it. I'm excited to see where they go. I'm excited to see uh, Sly Stallone. I guess he'll be wearing some makeup in this if he's playing. Well, if he's going to be of the same race. 
Oh, a blue skin. Was Yondu blue skin? He was the guy with the whistle and the knives, right? Goodness. Oh, I was sending a knife. Oh, okay. <laughs> what do you think about Sly Stallone and Guardians of the Galaxy and joining the Marvel Universe? Should be interesting. Yeah. Why not? I'm enjoying the Sly comeback. I didn't really like the Expendables. I like seeing him do some notable things, winning some awards for Creed. And I like to see the older actors still working. Sure. And Why not? They've got experience. Mm-hmm. Speaking of older actors, Oscar winner Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. And Razzie winner. Just landed the uh, role in Kingsman 2. Owner of a great set of titties. She is also reportedly included in Kingsman 3. Hmm. And The Secret Service was something of a surprise hit last year, earning a strong $450 million worldwide. A film geared toward a younger audience. I would say generally a teenage-ish, young 20s audience that did not skimp on the violence and was a little bit over the top. And uh, for the most part... Other than a couple things that I thought was ridiculous. Actually, a lot of the movies were ridiculous, but uh, some of the ridiculous parts I liked. A couple things I, I thought were really silly, but it was, um, I, I thought was was a decent film. I, I think that it, uh, I, as I mentioned on the podcast, may become more relevant than James Bond. Although, you know, James Bond may be a dinosaur waiting to die. I love the <laughs> Bond films. I, I started to respect them later in life as they got better. But Kingsman is, is good. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a young fresh james bond it's just not iconic we'll see where it goes I've, I've heard some 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 things but uh and i had luke skywalker in the first one whoopi goldberg and charlie sheen are going to film in a 9-11 movie they remember oh no i was thinking when whoopi goldberg was dating uh ted danson that was weird anyway whoopi goldberg and charlie sheen are doing a 9-11 movie yes where they're like stuck in a are they on a plane or are they in a skyscraper they're in an elevator. Or are they ter- terrorists? They're stuck in an elevator. And they're not going to focus on more of the politics that happened that day. They're going to mm-hmm. focus on just they're fighting against the odds of, I guess, being stuck in the elevator. And Luis Guzman from Narcos and Wood Harris from The Wire, Olga Fonda, I don't know who that is from the Vampire Diaries. Is going to be. I don't watch that. That's a girls' show on CW. They're also going to be in the cast. So, I think this is a pretty good idea. Not necessarily the nine eleven thing. You'd have to have a really good writer. They did a film that all took place in an elevator called, I believe it was called uh, like Devil or something. It was produced by M Night Shyamalan, and it wasn't that good. But when you can, there's a lot of tension inherent when you can put um, a bunch of people stuck in a location. So part of what was appealing or uh, a driving tension in Hateful Eight was everyone was stuck in this cabin, and there was people that definitely didn't like each other. And there was a film that I thought that was done pretty well um, called, I believe it was called Phone Booth with Colin Farrell, where the whole film took place. He couldn't leave a phone booth. And um, and then we saw Drive, or not Drive, what was the film called with Tom Hardy? I actually fell asleep while watching it, and the whole thing takes place in the car, and in it's just car. him. Oh, yeah, I liked that one. Um, it shows what a good actor he is. But I'm saying if you're a good actor and you're a good writer, you can get a lot of tension out of... This is basically 
most people that write plays, uh, especially shorter plays, like I'm attempting to do, it's got to take place in one scene. So an elevator is a good place. I don't know about 9-11. I mean, that might, as you said, it just happens to be a backdrop, but you could put in any different cast of characters in an elevator and make it interesting. You could put in a pregnant mother. Well, the reason why they're they're saying that it might be interesting is because these two actors are uh, native New Yorkers, Mm -hmm. and so they would be able to kind of keep the true essence of like what really happened rather than just two people who weren't. Like person trying to pay, play an Indian, you're not really an Indian. Well, I mean, to me, I don't. I, I get what you're saying, but I, I still just feel that this real story is just multiple personalities in an elevator. It depends how much, because I don't really feel they can play up the 9/11 angle that much. Because everyone that's in the elevator, they know what's happening. I mean, us watching on TV didn't know what's happening for. We were getting all kinds of mixed reportings, and um, it's just a bunch. They're of saying th- that they could tell it correctly because they were native New Yorkers. Sure, if you want to do, I guess the a New, a New Yorkers experience in an elevator, I suppose. But you know, it's never a great place to be stuck anywhere. All right, I had one thing I forgot to do before I prefaced your news. We'll do it right now, and it is. Film history. Today in film history, March 10th, 1984, was born Aaron Rodgers' current girlfriend, Olivia Wilde. Oh, I thought you were going to stop at Aaron Rodgers. I was going to be like, yuck. Well, he is an actor. He's in those commercials. Let's head in. I, there's a lot of eyebrows I don't like, Ethan. you got to understand that. Um, I don't like the big caterpillar eyebrows. She's got like the really, like, uh, like the Joker eyebrows, like super eccentric, like always either puzzled or in deep thought. Let's sit in a cocktail corner. I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting stinking on something I stir or shake. So today in Cocktail Corner, we have somewhat of a themed cocktail. It is something I've never tried, and um, I think it will be good. (laughs) It's kind of an experiment. This is sort of a, um, this will be a, a, a health food cocktail, I suppose. We are going to call, I'm going to call this cocktail the Krolik. Heathen, do you know what a Krolik is? No. It is the Russian word for rabbit. So this drink is essentially, everyone's heard of vodka orange juice. This drink is vodka carrot juice. Um, The only other ingredient that we're adding is a little bit of ginger beer. I was debating between um, using ginger ale or I was thinking about taking a mixer and just muddling a little bit of fresh ginger since we already had the fresh carrot. What really appealed to me was the ginger and the carrot component together. And the idea is, is you're not going to taste much of the vodka because of carrot and the ginger. I mean, that almost, that's like a, a good, like, winter soup right there, ginger, carrot. So what we're going to do is, is take two um, Collins glasses, type glasses, fill them to the brim with ice cubes. 
and then we're going to add our vodka first. What we're using today, and it doesn't really matter in a drink like this, I don't think with carrot juice and ginger ale, you could probably use the cheapest vodka you can find. It's going to get buried by the other flavors. As we've talked about before, the true what you're looking for in an expensive vodka or a good vodka is as colorless and tasteless as possible. So if you're getting that, then you're just going to ruin it. Um, a good vodka, an expensive vodka, you want to probably drink straight or maybe with a bit of tonic or something like that. This is Apolline vodka from France. Even though, as I said, that vodka is really supposed to be tasteless and colorless and odorless and all that, I, I think I'm pretty partial to French vodka for some reason. What about you, Heathen? Do you have a favorite vodka? I like... I like I like, I'm not really a vodka drinker. I don't really like it. I don't drink that much vodka, but I like Grey Goose. I like a lot of the French vodkas. I think my favorite lower-end vodka is, uh, is Sky from Canada. But uh, anyway, we're going to put in three ounces of vodka. So we're going to add in... <laughs> I went a little bit heavy on the vodka, actually. We're not going to get too much of the juice in there. You're going to do three ounces of vodka. I, I nearly doubled that. You're going to put in um, about an ounce of the ginger beer. Well, the carrot juice does go a long way. And then you're going to fill with carrot juice. And we're using, and I suggest you use at home, fresh carrot juice. So he then did get a juicer for Christmas and I used it. I, uh, I juiced about uh, 12 carrots to make this juice and we'll put that in here. And uh, the carrot juice, you know, if you've gotten it from John Bush or something, it's a very vibrant orange color, like a fiery orange. And as a garnish on the side to really bring out that orange, <laughs> put on a little slice of lime, or I was even thinking about if you did this a different way, you could do like a uh, a little peel, like a little, uh, what do you call that, a little flare of orange peel just on top. Um, if I wasn't going to do this with the ginger beer, if I was going to do the fresh ginger, I was going to shake it in a mixer, put it in like a, a martini glass, something like that, put a little shaving of uh, the lime zest on top. But this, this way, I think that the drink could use a little bit of squeeze of lime in it just to complete the citrus component. So I will hand you over your healthy vodka drink, the Krolik. And I will take my healthy vodka drink, the Krolik. Are we squeezing the lime? Oh, that's up to you. This is your cocktail. And this is, uh, you want to get a picture of that heathen? Maybe before or after or... Even with the orange, you know, the lime squeezed on there. Hopefully you can get some of that bright, bright orange color in our darkened cantina. But anyways, Heathen, do you have something to drink to? We are going to the Lost and Found Festival and well, it's at not, it's Madroni. Not a festival. It's, I don't it's know. a, a once-a-year sale that uh, a vineyard called Madronia does in El Dorado County in California. And what they do is they take mislabeled and odd lot bottles that they cannot sell because there's just a few of them or they're not fit for uh, being on a shelf maybe or they don't make it anymore 
That's what it said. Want me to read the listing? No, no, you don't need to waste people's time with that. But generally, you can get a really nice bottle of wine that just happens to have a different label on it and maybe even uh, just has the wrong year on it. And you get quite a nice discount for it. So we're or that they're that. no longer selling, it says it. Well, of course, you're not going to sell a wine that is an odd lot or has a wrong label. So thanks. And let's drink to that. That is certainly an interesting um, combination of flavors. As I said, I did go a little bit heavy on the vodka. And I think with the fresh ginger might have been better with the carrot juice than the ginger beer. I did not really give this a good mixy mix, but... Uh, no, it's interesting. You'd have to like carrot juice and... It, it, I wonder if you should have mis- mixed it with like carrot and orange because I really do like carrot orange, like carrot orange and vodka. You know, it's a good point. I almost thought about getting um, mandarin. Vo- I'm not a big fan of the flavored vodkas, but I almost was oh, going to get mandarin absolute mandarin. orange, which would have been really good. I was going to get absolute mandarin, which I thought might have went together with this, but I decided to see if the lime could kick up the citrus enough. Because my favorite is carrot orange. Yeah, carrot orange is a good juice. It's surprising how well carrot can go with other juices, apples and oranges and things like that, without tasting vegetable-y. Anyway, let's head into feature presentation. So here in feature presentation, we're going to talk about a couple films. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is just not a review show. We're going to talk about the feelings, the motivations, the people, the inspirations, and the ideas behind these movies. So the first movie we're going to start with is The Lady in the Van, actually released in 2015, but it just came to Rena recently and, and I think released wide recently. Uh, do you... These two movies, I'm just going to ask real quick, Heathen, how long do you think The Lady in the Van was? Longer than it was supposed to be because how I How long had, do you think the film was? Uh, an hour and a half. How long do you think Zootopia was? An hour and 20 minutes. The Lady in the Van was an hour and 44 minutes. Zootopia was an hour and 48 minutes. I'll talk to you in a little bit. Well, I'll just say real quick, Zootopia is one of those things where I was like, cartoons are never this long, but I felt like they're putting in so much, and I was excited that it kept going because I didn't want it to be over. Anyway, starting with Lady in the Van, British film, uh, a brief synopsis, a man forms an unexpected bond with a transient woman living in her van that's parked in his driveway. This is based on a true story. It's based on a author's life. Uh, he wrote a book about this, and he produced a play about this. He also did a BBC radio series about this. He also has a little kind of, I don't know if you call it, it's not really a cameo, yeah, but he shows I thought up that was really cool. at the end of the movie. They did a lot of things to try to stay true to the story, which I thought was interesting. So as I mentioned, that they 
kind of tie things in a little bit towards the end of the movie. Here's a spoiler alert, seeing as this movie takes place around the 70s and um, maybe even the early 70s is when it starts. And she lives in his driveway for over 15 15 years. years. So here's a spoiler. If you don't want to hear the spoiler, fast forward 30 seconds. She dies. So at the end of the movie, uh, the actors are kind of uh, doing a scene where they're doing like a memorial towards her, and the real author um, rides his bike to the set where they're shooting the film, and they just say, hi, Alan, and they just go on like kind of filming the scene. It's it's an interesting technique. I, I like that. Also, this film was shot in the actual house on the actual street where the events took place, uh, Gloucester Crescent in Camden Town. Some of the same people still live there. Uh, Anyway, when they started filming it, uh, decades later. Um, Alan Bennett, who wrote this uh, story, uh, this screenwriter and the the story. Uh, May 27th, 2015, uh, this is a quote from him talking about what this story is really about. So, quote, The story told by this film took place 40 and more years ago, and Miss Shepard is long since dead. She was difficult and eccentric, but of all, but above all, she was poor. And these days, particularly the poor, don't get much of a look. Poverty is a moral failing today, as it was under the Tudors. If the film has a point, it's about fairness and tolerance, and however grudgingly helping the less fortunate who are not well thought of these days, and now likely to be even less so. Um, so that is... Even though they don't make a big deal, and that's not really... I don't really take that as much of the... I don't take that as much as the, the, the force, or they don't really... They don't really try to force that idea about poverty or mental illness on on you. To me, the film was more about the characters, the two characters, the author, what his motivations were what he was trying to do, why he allowed her to live there, his interactions. He was kind of a little bit of an odd person himself. He, he, he had a, uh, at least he thought so, um, kind of an unhealthy or uh, too much of an infatuation with his mother and older women. And then he had a separate person that he was talking to. Yeah, which I, I was going to talk about in a moment. Um, just as far as that point in the film, the um, just how we deal how do you how do you feel about the way that the characters in this movie dealt with the issue and this is kind of a big issue for a movie podcast and we won't dwell too long on it but it is it is sort of a big deal about um poverty and people's mental health and a lot of those times that's intertwined when you're homeless there's a reason that you can't hold a job or you decide to live on the street. There's not a, you know. Do you want to put a comment on either the movie's take on it or just? I thought it was really society? interesting how the um, town or how the street just kind of all took care of her, and she went from neighbor to neighbor to neighbor, and all the neighbors kind of agreed that she was going to live in front of his house. Well, because they didn't want her in front of their house. Kind of, but they the all... Particularly the ones across the street from him. Yeah, but she... came around a little bit. But she she went around to all of them. I mean, she experienced all of them and couldn't 
stand living in any of their in front of any of them but she could tolerate him because he was a pushover but he was also kind of tolerating her he was the only one that was like kind of indifferent as well Well, that's kind of my take on it like he was treating her a little bit everybody was treating her with some respect but didn't really respect her until she was much older and i think it was because of him but from the get-go i think he was treating her with a little bit more respect than the others were well i could kind of I could relate to him on a lot of different levels and what I took the white reason he was doing it is and this is how I do things is I don't necessarily want to be involved I'm the last person that really wants to help anyone I'm a pretty selfish person but human nature you would think when you see someone in need is they need to be helped and if no one else is doing it then even if you don't want to do it you have to do it and that's how he took it is he was kind of didn't understand why no one else wanted to do it and why he kept wanting to to leave and when the social mm-hmm. worker kept coming he's like please you oh know, no i was talking gone. before she moved in but also to the driveway well he was and then he was also you know using her for his own means he was using her as he had his uh hidden agenda which was a source for his writing mm-hmm. that, especially when he found out that she was a formal former nun and a um, basically a formally trained musician, he was thinking, okay, here's that's the twist, that's the catch, that's the that's the hook in a story. There's a woman living on the street. How do you go from being a nun and a person that is fluent in French and went to study under like a, a master pianist, and now you you live in a van and you're nuts? So he did have his other motives Mm -hmm. it wasn't totally um also you have to understand that the main character or the the guy he he, he's the writer and he does also allude to this a little bit in in the the story sometimes he says like you never said this and this never happened but we also don't know what else never happened all of it's from his point of view he's going to in some ways uh, because I think he did have a certain type of personality, he is going to uh, highlight some of his flaws, but it's still not going to be a totally um, unbiased story from his point of view. It would be totally different from maybe someone else's point of view. It's maybe a little bit romanticized and and people made a little bit more hero- hero- heroic. I like how she called him out a couple times about how the relationship was different between his mom and him and her and him i did notice that yeah it's it's definitely an interesting story i had one time nothing like this uh, my first apartment which i was actually talking about someone today when i was talking about cockroaches i had someone uh, knock on my door and say can i sleep in your car tonight and again, I was in kind of that situation where I wanted to say no, because that's freaking crazy. And I don't know most people that would say yes, but you could tell there was some sort of desperation there. And I got up pretty early for school the next day because um, I was going to school. I was going to college. Got up at six or seven, 
and she was gone, but damn, my car smelled like filth. Anyway, kind of interesting. No, maybe that's not interesting, but... Well, when I was, like, 19, and it was, like, my first apartment, in my apartment complex, there was kind of this crazy lady, and I, I don't remember if she had one leg or... Maybe she was cut off at both knees. I'm not really sure, but she was always running around crazy in her wheelchair, always asking for things. And I always kind of felt like I had to take care of her or maybe the complex did. It was a really small complex in Arizona. I think it was only like maybe 16 units. Mm -hmm. And we always just kind of took care of her. We were just a bunch of group, a group of kids that lived in this complex. And she was like the oldest one that lived there. So it was, I guess, kind of the same thing. She was kind of batshit crazy. Yeah, and with at least what I was saying and that sort of thing is it's a it's a microcosm, what, what, you're, what we're both talking about, to a worldwide problem and a national problem if that everyone wants to look the other way. No one wants anything to be their problem. No one wants the responsibility for anything. And what you did and what I did a little, very minorly for one night and what the guy did in the film was they didn't want to be burdened with it, but they felt like it's something that needed to be done. But I feel like a lot of people, you would think they would do that when it comes down to it, but they don't. It's it's just this invisible problem that people hope that goes away. And, and honestly, I'm guilty of it almost every day when I see people because I get overwhelmed by like, how do you help everyone? How do you help anybody? How do you know? I know you've talked about on the podcast, you, you buy someone some food or do something like that. And that's what a lot of people do instead of give money is they, they go and buy them lunch. But it just seems like such a, um, as I've gotten older, I've wanted to do little things to help, like maybe help in a soup kitchen or something like that for one Thanksgiving. Again, to assuage some of my uh, my horrible guilt and karma that I've amassed, I'd like to do something nice. But it, it's it's sort of like when people don't want to vote because they feel like their vote doesn't matter. I don't know how one person, an average person, unless you're Bill Gates or something like that, how you can help such a systemic problem as poverty and homelessness well i volunteer quite a bit and just volunteering your time helps i suppose for one day and if there was more people in a community that did that i I just feel i don't know what it's like in other countries other than china i don't know i i don't feel that a lot of america really feels like a community like it did maybe it felt that way in the 50s or before our time but i don't know volunteering makes me feel really good so maybe yeah. You should do it. So you did talk about how he talked to himself in the film, and I thought this was... I don't I don't know how the book was written. I assume it was written in a similar way, and probably the play in a similar... Well, I don't know how you really do that in a play. But in the film, it was very effective. And um, so instead of having a voiceover or um, a monologue, something like that, he kind of had two personalities or two facets of his being and he explains it in the film one is the person that goes out in life and does things and the other one is the one that sits as the author and writes about it and i could see a few people doing this on different levels especially when you're very into certain professions you probably get this as a banker or or in hobbies when i first did my short run at photography i had my 
eye that I looked at things through a photographer's view. Um, but I thought that, for one, I thought it was a very interesting device for the film that instead of just him talking to himself or a monologue, he had him having a debate with himself, and it was interesting. It was way more interesting than just a monologue or something like that. And also, I think, even though we don't see two, we don't have two of us that we see, I think it was more realistic having, because all of us have, like, an internal debate. I think so. <clears throat> and um, there's one person that's uh, in the Reno Filmmakers Group that tried to host the Oscar shorts that said she didn't really care for this movie and wanted to hear my input. And I was, I thought, hmm, because I was really looking forward to watching this movie and I wanted to see why she didn't like it. And I thought, well, she, I don't really understand why she's even in that group if she can't really grasp well, I didn't. what this movie was about. Even being distracted by somebody being so noisy through the whole movie, I, I was really into it. Well, I didn't love the movie. I did. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll save a little bit for that later. But I did like that device. And as I said, I think it's realistic because all, most of us are our own worst critic. Most of us always say like to ourselves in hindsight or in, in present, you shouldn't do this. You should do this. Go out and do that. I mean, some of us have a friend that does that. But a lot of us... And he does that in the film, like, you need to ask her this question now. It's time. Or you need to tell her that she can't come in. And then the other one's like, well, then you kind of crumble. And it's just interesting because it's basically his, it is the writer part of him, but it's also some of it's his, uh, the person he wishes he was, his conscious, his driving force. Um, but he's... That, that writer part's also just saying so many... Uh, it's usually the one... Well, it's always the one saying bad things about himself. Like, uh, you wish you would have said that. Um, you're kind of Well, weak. because that's everybody. Yeah, that's why I nobody's, said... Nobody's ever going to, like, you know, say, oh, you're an ugly piece of shit, but I'll say it to myself well, inside. Some, some people have an inner voice, and we, and I have friends like this. I mean, this, I'm not going to say that a lot to myself, inner but voices, you know what I mean. Maybe, maybe not all their inner voices is sort of going towards inside out, but some people have a very confident inner voice that's almost delusional. Like, you're the man. You can go talk to that girl. You can get anything you want. That's when you're trying to you're talk yourself up. That's when you're trying to talk yourself up. But when you're but beating yourself down. But some people do that down, all the time, though. Nobody ever does that 100% no, of the time. No, not all the time, but... When you're beating yourself down, you can really say some negative mm -hmm. shit. So nobody else will ever say that to you but yourself. Yeah. So. But anyway, I like that device, mm -hmm. and I, I thought it was interesting for several ways. Um, I think we've talked about that. I, I could talk about it more, but, I, but I'll go on because we have a lot more to cover. Yeah. Um, so talking about... Uh, um, actually, before talking about the film overall... One thing I thought was interesting to me in this film and what made it a little bit more, um, the characters more nuanced or, or Miss Shepard in particular. We don't know if her name was Mary or Maggie or anything else. She went by several identities. Um, being that she was a, uh, she was devoted when she was younger to music not just devoted it came easy to her in a way as she mentions that uh, playing music or practicing was easier than praying mm -hmm. so it made her feel guilty 
And also her brother in the film says uh, her practicing was her form of prayer. Like she just dove into it, which I, I was never able to do that with really anything. But my brother used to play music that way when he was younger. Like he was, he would sit and play a piece over and over and over again. He used to be really good. Um, but the there was a couple things that happened. Again, spoiler, they... The church basically, for a couple couple different people, a couple different reasons, forbid her to play music. And it was um, a little bit of a te test of her faith, a little bit of um, trying to direct her priorities, a little bit, I think, as they infer, a little bit of, uh, what do they call that, just someone being a Napoleon, just basically... Mm -hmm shutting someone down just for shutting them down yeah there was no reason there was no reason for it at all um other than i think just the head nun being a jerk well the the priest also uh apparently told her that she couldn't play music either because it was i understand it's a test of faith yeah, and a te test of discipline to give up something mm -hmm. that you love um, but it's music, and even God would want somebody to play hymns, and that's what she even said, mm -hmm. like, I'll play God's music. They didn't even want her to do that, and she was playing so beautifully, and you would never, ever want somebody to give up something like that, so they should have asked her to give up something else. And to me, that, even though it was... That a, broke her soul, I think. Yeah, yeah, and... and Clearly. To, to me, that was... <laughs> Among all the sad things that happened in the film, that was something that, even though I real well, I mean, it did happen in real life, but mm -hmm. seeing it as a as a movie, it was something that made me feel really sad about that anything. It could be if you're told, and this happens in the Bible. I mean, is um, you know, people are told to kill their 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 sons and things like that as a test of faith. But in real life, if something that you truly love is taken from you, and somewhat without a reason, in this case, the reason was a test of faith, but if that's the one thing that, that drives your day, whether it's a person, whether it's a hobby or a job, that's just, as you said, soul-breaking. That, that really crushed me. And they show it throughout the film that she ends up well, they think she hates it. He asks her, "Why do you why do you hate music or something like that?" Because he plays her music. She keeps wanting it to stop. It's one of the reasons she keeps moving around the neighborhood. Is she says she she despises music, and he says, "Why do you hate music?" She says, "I don't hate music. I love music, but I I can't listen to it because it 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 breaks her heart too much because it was so important to her, and that it was something that she said." Um, what does she say in the film? Something about she could play the piano in the dark and it was, a, she said it was like a house with different rooms, which was interesting. I never heard of music um, or playing an instrument described that way before that you play it and it's opening up like a map for you mm -hmm. and different notes and different um, different different things or, or, or... Different notes for different rooms. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting and... Um, I think a lot of people could relate that in their life. As I said, I think to a lot of people, it's probably a person, like a child or a parent, something like that. 
Um, imagine having a, a son or daughter or a parent taken from you for really no reason and just said you're not allowed to see them anymore. And this happens again in religion. It's happened with my friends who are in certain religions like um, Jehovah Witnesses and things saying you're not allowed to be with them. I, I remember I, I met a girl when I was uh, in my later years in high school I was hanging out with and basically I got forbidden. We weren't dating or anything. We didn't know each other that long, but I was forbidden from seeing her because her mom said that she felt I wasn't a uh, religious person. And I just think when you use... She was probably right. <laughs> yeah, but... but it, yeah, Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, no, you're... Not. Well, this this one wasn't Jehovah's Witness, but but as, you know, we spoke about that before, that that is, is a bigger one. And using religion to as i'm talking when i was talking about earlier uh, making community using religion to break up community within families and and just a, a wider community i think it's just a a really tough thing all right um i thought the acting was extraordinary in this film uh as i said i didn't really care for the movie overall that much but i thought the acting was excellent i thought maggie smith was outstanding um really really good one of the better performances i've seen for a while i don't know if it's in my opinion we're seeing the movie for but she was it really looked like she good. had fun playing the character it looked like she enjoyed playing the character i mean i think it's the kind of part anyone would want to play but i also think it's one of the parts that if you want to do it right as there are a lot of actors that are naturally gifted, but it seems like the really good ones really do take on the part. <laughs> this is really going off the rails, but we saw Louis Anderson on the uh, Kelly and Michael show this morning, and he says when he's on set for Baskets, he doesn't allow people to call him Louis. He, he, he's in character the whole time. And um, there's a lot of actors that do this like for like six months at a time while they're on set. And uh, I don't know if Maggie Smith, I don't know uh, uh, enough about her as an actress. I mean, as a person, I know her as an actress. But I don't know if she's that type of person. But to, to get usually that kind of response out of someone, you've got to live that kind of life. And that's hard. Even Brad Pitt, who I don't think is a good actor, and I used to really hate, and now I kind of like as a person. I don't think he's that great of an actor. He said when after... Um, he filmed interview with a uh, interview with a vampire that he was like depressed for like weeks. Like he's like it's just too hard like being that character. And I I know he cannot be that kind of immersive actor because he's not very good. So even when you're faking it for a few hours a day, that's got to have a toll on you. So imagine these guys that just immerse themselves in it. Like uh, Daniel Day Lewis, he's one of those guys that just when he was playing Lincoln, like he had people. I don't know. He had people address him as Mr. President and stuff like that. Yeah. Apparently, there are some actors that, uh, especially, I, I, they were more comedic. I think I could do it. I think it would be a release of some sort of energy for me to be somebody else for a little bit. I think that would be really good. If well, I could be this person, just release some energy for a couple months and then go back to myself, I think that would be really cool. I think when you're in a role, uh, for me, I think the tough part is if you're in a role where you really hate someone else 
it would, for me, it would be hard to be very friendly with that person. If we're talking about a drama, it would be hard for me to be friendly with that person outside of the role. Like, I, because I even did just, I'm not a great actor and I've done short things where I feel animosity towards another person that I'm supposed to dislike in the in the script. I don't know that there's really a way to get away from that while you're trying to perform an authentic mm. experience. True. Anyway, next film, Zootopia. Uh, hour and 48 minutes. Very short synopsis again. From Disney. In a city of... Anthropomorphic animals, a fugitive con artist fox, and a rookie bunny cop must work together to uncover a conspiracy. A couple little things. There is a poster for Zootopia and Big Hero 6. When Baymax and Hero fly under the train tracks. Originally the film, so the film originally had a different focus and a different storyline. Originally the film... um, really centered around Nick Wilde, the fox, uh, played by Jason Bateman. However, test audiences reported that they had a hard time connecting with him emotionally and instead found themselves drawn to Judy, the rabbit, Judy Hopps. And the story was changed, which I could really see. I don't know what the story was originally, but I really could see... I, I could see how they could have tried to make an emotional focus in the film um, when they show the his flashback when he wanted to be the the scout and he was muzzled mm-hmm. and everything. But I think it was way more interesting what they did and showed that later and more base it around the underdog because everyone loves an underdog. At least Americans love an underdog, and especially if he's a predator. Yeah, I think changing even though he was kind of a focus it still was mainly on her i and i'm sure the story was okay when it was focused on him i think that it was probably a lot better this way it really i think had a better delivery method for the message that they were trying to show which they could have done with him and they did do with him a little bit so I think some of the writing for this film was fantastic, uh, particularly in the beginning, how it opens up where they have a kid's play and they're saying, like, thousands of years ago, uh, predators and prey did this, and it's these little kids acting it out. Yeah. And it's kind of introducing us to what the universe is, what it's like, um, and then it opens up to they're in the small town. I thought that was great writing. Uh, overall, this film really is, it's its one of those kind of Pixar films that's really written for kids, like Inside Out, but has so much for adults. I was enjoyed the whole film. I felt when the writing got bad, when it was a little bit obvious, but I thought it was such a great message for kids. And, um, but anyway, yeah, the, the, the main message was, to me... Basically, to break it down to the simplest terms, don't judge a book by its cover and don't have stereotypes. So that can be race, it could be gender, it could be body type, it could be anything. I thought it was such a good it message. It was across the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they weren't very specific that much in the film, being that it was animals, but you could relate it mm-hmm. to anything. 
Because they had the lion, they had the rhinoceros, they had everything. There was lot, everything. But a lot of times they'd say like, well, you're this, you can't do that. Or how can you ever trust that? And I kept wanting to hear like the N-word or something in there. Maybe that's just my upbringing. I kept wanting to hear like when they'd say fox, I kept wanting to hear like, how can you ever trust a black person? Or, you know, but you could relate no, that to anything. It. You could I relate it. You could it. say an Arab. You could say a... Uh, a, a guy wearing uh, it was perfect. Sh- crappy shoes. It was perfect for right now. Yeah, that's what perfect. I think it was so relevant for right now, but it's also universally relevant. This could have been shown in the 50s. This could probably be shown 30 years from now. It was so good. And, and besides like the stereotypes, it was a very good, um, I think, uh, self respect conscious message to being that the main person judy rabbit judy hops um she was the first bunny cop and in the beginning they show how she can't ever be a police officer because she she can't do any of the tests she can't do that they the drill sergeant keeps saying you're dead you're dead you're dead and then she finds a way to use her strengths to finish top of her class and again i thought what a great message that doesn't matter that you're small. It doesn't matter if you have a stereotype of being, you know. I, I could definitely, I for me, I, I, I could see a couple messages in her. But, again, you could take so much out of it. Like, don't anyone just let you say that you're just a girl. Well, don't, and even, even when you make your goal, you can still have your assignment and they're like, okay, here you're at the bottom of the chain. You still have to continue. Mm-hmm. And so there was that whole thing. So I thought that was amazing too. I thought it was really good. I thought pretty interesting characters. I thought they had a lot of cool jokes for adults. And as I said, I was sitting there towards the end hoping it wasn't over because I liked the characters. Um, and... Basically, again, this is just kind of harping on what I just said is, you know, don't let anyone say that you're, you're just a girl or that you're too short or you're too fat or you're too slow. But also, you know, don't be afraid to go against the grain either, even if there's not necessarily, quote, something wrong with you or a stereotypical about you. Um, and this goes in the beginning of the film when her parents are like, Stop trying. It's easier just to give up. You'll be happier, which in a lot of ways is true. You'll be really disappointed in life by trying because you probably will fail more times than you succeed. And, you know, most people are lucky, don't have to try that much. But for a lot of people, they have to try a lot. And it takes a, a certain mental fortitude to keep trying again and again and again, especially when you know you can do it. And that is one of the messages is she says, that's my mistake. I'm a trier and I won't give up. I mean, basically in the first five minutes, she gets her ass handed to her and she's like, well, I'm just going to keep going for it. So I thought that was, that was pretty good. Um, what else would you like to tell? There was a few other things in the film I thought were interesting. Uh, it's just, there's so much social commentary that I, again, it's such a, a big topic for a film podcast. I don't want to dwell too much on it. Well, I liked how, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I keep 
clearing my throat. I'm still coming over a cold. I apologize. I liked how the ending, um, the prey was the one that was trying to overcome the predator and got caught. And, um, the two, the fox and the rabbit were able to overcome and I mean, these are all spoilers, of course. Is it wrong that I thought the the the, the rabbit was kind of hot? I thought she had nice legs. <laughs> Guess you'd expect that from a rabbit. Um, well, Jessica Rabbit. I mean, so everybody's yeah, everybody's rabbit, predestined to Jessica love Ra- rabbits. Jessica Rabbit was a human though, and she was really hot. <laughs> she's yeah. a cartoon, and she's <laughs> a cartoon. <laughs> she was a cartoon human, but she was still really hot. Um. Yeah, again, and again, talking about the prey, the, the small innocent one, again, don't judge everything by its cover. I mean, the, the worst looking person isn't always bad, and the person that looks innocent, I mean, just don't be, be naive. And also, people have different motives, The although they did simplify it, because it's a cartoon, the, the villain had her reasons for doing what she was doing she wanted and again you could um equate this to a lot of things in in modern society but she thought she was doing a good thing for a certain race or a certain population a certain and same thing when the with the lion that was the mayor when he uh, at first people thought he was the bad person and he was like well no I was he was trying just to, trying to quarantine them he's like I was trying to isolate the problem mm-hmm. to prevent a panic so mm-hmm. I could solve the problem which also was a really bad thing because again you're going against like I was gonna say human rights but animal rights you can't just lock people up for their own good and you can't keep the well here's right I actually agree with the lion. I mm-hmm. do think the government should keep people in the dark about some things because I do think people aren't capable of certain things. Well, and it I do created think, an outrage. Well, I was going to say, yeah. well, yeah, the outrage, but I was going to say a lot of things can create a panic very easily. That's what I meant, a panic. My, um, Well, in the film, it, it created a lot of things. It wasn't necessarily a, a panic, but had a, a backlash, but... I, uh, there's a conversation I have with my brother, and I always he always hears it a certain way. My brother's very into like aliens, and the government knows about aliens. And I always say, well, if... And he always doesn't hear when I say if. I say, well, if they know all of this, I could see why they keep it secret. Because if they all of a sudden just came out and say, hey, public... We've got aliens. We've known them for 20 years, and they visit us frequently, or whatever, some form of that. Or even if they say, we know that aliens exist, we've gotten radio signals, we don't know what they're up to, it's going to cause a panic. You're going to get religious groups killing themselves. You're going to get riots. You just can't trust the human race. I sound like a dictator in breeding, and I probably would be. I just don't think um, masses Which would be okay. It's called thinning of the herd. I would be okay with that. So I do... This is where, again, um, a lot of the uh, uh, fourth right angry American are like, uh, the government needs to be honest with us. They're doing this. They're tapping Earth. I don't give a shit about any of that as long as we're protected. Infringe Mm -hmm. on some of my rights. I don't think so. (laughs) A little too big. I know. I know. I know. I'm in the minority there. And I know you and your, your, your hippie 
mother and everyone. No, I was. I, I have a friend that used to say to me, you are so big brother. And now I'm like, okay. Well, I'm, the problem with big brother, and again, we're getting a little tra- straying off a little bit is. No, it's who, right along with what we're talking the problem about. problem with big brother, because I, I believe in big brother. <laughs> problem with big brother is where do you draw the line? And is who wa- he's got too big of bridges. Well, it's where do you draw the line and who watches Big Brother? Because when you're Big Brother, nothing's never enough. And a good example of that was China for or the Patriot for Act. a long time. Well, we never really saw anything bad happen with that. But oh, we really? Saw, That's funny. You know, I can we, show We you. didn't see people being uh, thrown to uh, what they called in China. They called them re-education camps. So if you disagree with the government, I can understand that. But then disagreeing became writing poetry or playing piano. All of a sudden, all these things became disagreeing with the government, and you got sent to a labor camp to uh, to work on a mine. Right, and but but that's not a, a free country. The Patriot I'm ta- Act I'm talking is about, a direct violation of a free country. But I'm talking about Big Brother escaping itself, that it's never... Once you're a Big Brother, you don't know. You, you're, you're, it seems like you're, instead of your role being looking out for what's under you, your role ends up being looking out for yourself. It always ends up corrupting itself. As I said, I don't think Big Brother is a bad thing, but human nature always ends up corrupting it. I would love a Roman Republic, but eventually Roman Republic becomes like every other government and ends up being corrupted, and it's all about self-preservation instead of what's good for the whole. Yes. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about this film before we go on to our uh, list, our, t- our five? You have a five? Yeah, I have a rank for you. Anything okay. else you want to talk about? No. Now let's hit a baby real quick. Oh, yeah. Now that my cocktail's mixed a little bit, I am actually really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. The carrot, the ginger, and again, it's what I imagined is you can't really taste the vodka because the carrot and the ginger is so strong. I think I will have another. I have a rank for you, Heathen. The five. These are, I would like you to rank these foxes. We have actress Megan Fox, known for the toe thumbs and the new teen. God, we saw a trailer for the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and someone... I thought it was someone that I liked in our group or someone next to me. And they're like, oh, no. Stephanie. It was Stephanie. (laughs) Again. She was excited. She's younger, so I can give her a pass. She's only 22. Well, no, because, okay, here's the thing. I'm going to go on a little divergent for a minute. One thing that sucks is having something that you grow up with raped by Michael B., that's fine, okay? That sucks. That's like, it could be anything. It could be My Little Pony. It could be The Smurfs. It could be um, Leave It to Beaver. That's fine. Change it. At least make something good. So, two things. One, the storyline for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers was raped. It was just raped. Okay, just mm-hmm. raped. That's fine. Okay, do something new. Make something good out of it. That was not done either. That was not done either, so that really hurts me. I'm tired. I'm tired of Michael B. raping my childhood. Twice. At least do something good. Twice. 
Teenage Mutant Turtles were a little bit older for me. I was probably like in sixth, seventh, eighth grade when the tur- when I got into the Turtles, Transformers, GI Joe's, Young GI Joe's, another thing that was raped for me. So thrice. <sighs> okay. It just hurts. Okay. It hurts. Let's go on to the next box. So Megan Fox, who plays April O'Neil in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, <laughs> also used to date um, what's his name from Nine Hundred Two One Zero. Brian Austin Green. Brian Austin Green. Yeah. He was married to, or they were married. That's what they I have mean. a child. Well, whatever. They got together and they're a divorced. Times. And he's like the worst. Anyway. anyway, Fox News News Network. Apparently, uh, in my grandpa's later years in life, that's all he wanted to watch was Fox News. True Texan. I, I suppose, in a bad way. Jamie Hendrix's song, Foxy Lady. 90s rapper, Il Nana, Foxy Brown. And from X-Files, Fox Mulder. Jesus. Rank those however you want. Those foxes. Where are you going, five or one? Where are you starting at? You starting at the cake or are you starting at the cream? I'm going to start at the cake. Okay. Which is number five. We're going from least to best. Number five. Fox News. Fox News is number five. Uh, Foxy Brown. Foxy Brown. She is a Little Kim ripoff. Okay, then I should switch it. Let me switch it. Why? Because I'm going to switch it. Okay. I think the ripoff is worse than Fox News. Well, I don't know. I wasn't going to say she was a ripoff, but... Okay. You know, Never they, mind. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. Uh, Megan Fox. Number three. Uh, Jimi Hendrix. Foxy. We're not talking Jimi Hendrix. We're talking about the song well, Foxy the song, Lady. Foxy Lady. Foxy Lady's number two. And Fox Mulder. Oh, Fox Mulder beats out Foxy <laughs> Lady. That's tough. I'm sure Fox Mulder <laughs> would love to hear that. I'm sure that Megan Fox is happy that she beat out a uh, uh, Little Kim knockoff Foxy Brown. See, Foxy, uh, little Kim has got a pass because she did the uh, the 50 Cent uh, Lick It Like a Lollipop song, which mm-hmm. everyone knows, and I can't remember the Foxy Brown song. But both of them were just uh, short little brown rapper chicks that had titties. And I think they both were former uh, prostitutes that I got wanna... fucked by uh, someone. <laughs> space. By space. Uh, it's fine to hit that, baby. And you definitely did not drink that time. You are so bad at this game. All right, let's go into last call. Last call. Looking at the world through the bottom of a glass. All I see is a man who's fading fast. Last call. Um, next week, the movie we'll be seeing is the Tina Fey film. Whiskey Tangle Foxtrot. And we should be doing the podcast on that. The movie group is also seeing Cloverfield 10, or 10 Cloverfield Lane. I would like to see, I'd like to see that film as well, but I will be apparently eating a salad instead of seeing the film. No, you don't have to. I but, can uh, meet you. Anyways, uh, look forward to seeing uh, our listening to our podcast on Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Any last words, Heathen? No. All right, until next week, thank you for joining us. If you want to hit us on the Twitter line, at Potable Pictures. If you want to see pictures from this podcast, go to PotablePictureShow.com. Look for the Sierra Nevada Movie Club on Facebook. Call us on the Twitter line. Email us at PotablePictureShow at gmail.com. All this and more 
Till next time, keep it wet. All my neighbors are fast asleep, and I can't find anything to drink. Mackenzie's drank all the great alcohol, so I'm headed down the street to first call. never listen to the podcast to hear what the easter eggs are it's usually you yelling right or crying great and me being a dick great and matt laughing <laughs>